Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul, taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Text and uh, WhatsApp's also available to you this morning at 86 to 103103 and I'm interested to hear from anyone, did you watch that programme on RTE uh, last night following the news uh, called uh, Cocooned it is a new lockdown documentary by producer Ken uh, Wardrop and it was just wonderful from start to finish it really was and I knew when I saw the teaser for it and the trailer for it I was thinking oh this is a nice nice idea just to try to get and see how some of the older people managed to get on when they were forced to cocoon a word at one stage I was was getting lambasted for you using I was told to stop using it it was a word that was driving older people absolutely nuts they hated the idea of being told uh, to cocoon initially everybody took to it but I think as the time went on uh, there just seemed to be no end to it and I think that's what added to the level of frustration with some older people but as I say wonderful idea for the programme and it seems that Ken Wardrop came up with the idea for the filming when the government first did the stay at home order and of course that was the stay at home order in early in March of uh, 2020 that banned all non-essential travel and it also banned contact with other people and the elderly at the time and those that had certain illnesses were of course told and the word came into being we were told to cocoon he said he felt at the time that it was an extraordinary moment and he felt it was an extraordinary moment that had to be documented so he decided that his focus was going to be on the elderly people and he was trying to get their reactions to this policy and the predicament that they now found themselves in. They were almost prisoners in their own home and certainly we would have heard on this programme from older people who use those words. They felt they were prisoners in their own homes and of course at the time when that very first lockdown happened it was 
there was so much uncertainty, very uncertain time and nobody knew how long the measures were going to last. And of course, when Ken started making this film, as he said, he had no idea what way it was going to uh, end. And I think initially when all of us went and the other part of the programme that I really liked was the timeline when you started looking at the various announcements that were made. Firstly, our Taoiseach was Leo Varadkar, you know, the initial announcement that was made when he was over in New York for St. Patrick's Day and you saw him addressing the people and then of course it switches them over to Micheál Martin and it was the timeline of events and you would think, God, was was it as early as that 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 happened? Oh yeah, I remember when that announcement uh, was made and of course back in March of 2020 when the initial lockdown, everyone was of the belief that we would be doing this lockdown for two weeks. People were sent at home, people were working from home, schools were closing and we thought two weeks and that would be it and everyone would be back uh, to normal and here we are 18 months later and people are only now starting to go back into their desks even in this building here we had some days last week where some of we're slowly starting to reintroduce staff back into the building staff who have been working from home and uh, Carmel our receptionist arrived back in last Wednesday after almost 18 months of being out of the building and there was her March 2020 calendar that she had left believing that she'd be she'd be well back in to turn it over to April and move on throughout 2020. She never got to use the rest of the 2020 uh, calendar uh, for sure. And of course, we didn't know that at the time. And certainly looking at these people who featured in the programme last night, cocooned, they were not to know how long they would be asked to remain indoors or the fact that we would go back into other lockdowns where once again they would be told to limit their travel and not to uh, mix with people. But for me, watching it last night it just celebrated the resilience and the bravery of our older generation and more than anything they their acceptance and the grit in the face of adversity. They just accepted that this had to be done. They knew that they had to be done to keep themselves uh, safe. But it was their resilience. And and I was thinking about it. I wonder in years to come, will older people have the same resilience that this particular generation have? And maybe it's because of the lives that they have led up to this uh, point. It was just from start to finish, it sort of, it made you laugh and it made you cry. And Ken has to be acknowledged for the characters that he managed to get, the wonderful people that he selected to take part. They were full of wisdom. uh, They were full of generous spirit. And many of them had this wonderful, wonderful sense of humour. And that came out right throughout the movie. And right throughout the documentary, and obviously he didn't have a lot of time to get it together because he was trying to start the filming almost as soon as that first stay-at-home order was put in place, and then he would have been limited in the area of travel. He lives in Dublin himself, and he wasn't going to be—he couldn't travel all over the country, uh, obviously. So he sort of limited it to within driving distance of uh, Dublin. But he really did manage to get some absolute gems. I also felt in the documentary that he managed to find light in the in the darkest of times because this was the darkest of uh, of times and watching it last night 
I smiled as much as I shed tears. I probably laughed out loud more than I actually cry, cried at it. And it was, for those that didn't see it, it was it was filmed and photographed primarily at night. It was done through people's windows. Obviously, these people were cocooning, so he couldn't go in and sit down and have a cup of tea with them inside in the kitchen. And the conversations were recorded over the phone, over the phone. On paper, it's sort of it's something that shouldn't work. And it did work and it worked uh, beautifully. It also very much showcased the calm, eerie, of the national lockdowns and it was the the drone footage that he got of Dublin and the stillness of the Dublin streets at night just the odd bus would go by and no cars out, out on the road there was kind of an eerie stillness about the whole thing and then he got the people who took part to not only talk about the pandemic they obviously did talk about the pandemic and how worried and concerned uh, they were but you know they spoke about sort of the bigger life events that had happened all over the country I mean made me smile to hear some of them talking about Donald Trump and how, like a lot of us did when Donald Trump was in power at the beginning of the pandemic, you were actually enjoying watching his press conferences at night to think, God, it became a little bit like a soap opera. What's he going to come out with now? And it was lovely to see that they were watching the same things that all of us, of course, all over the country watched. A lot of the ladies loved Bridgerton. Remember that? And that's coming back, isn't it, for uh, another series. And even then, the joy of seeing Joe Biden being elected and talking about the inauguration and some of those of the older generation were really with it they were really into more into Lady Gaga one person said than Gareth Brooks singing at the inauguration that made me smile I have to say so it was kind of one of those programmes you were between crying and uh, laughing and it really was lovely from start to finish so I have to say well done to Ken Wardrop I, I certainly enjoyed it and it is cocooned and I imagine if you missed it last night it is available on catch up but if you did watch it I'd be interested in your thoughts on the programme was it something that you very much enjoyed uh, watching as well let us know and a little bit of good news for Cork this morning we were expecting this press conference at 10 o'clock this morning with uh, Ryanair and it was expected that they would announce plans to restore routes and to reopen the base at Cork Airport and that is exactly what they have done they have announced a full recovery of its pre-pandemic passenger capacity with the opening of two aircraft base at Cork Airport. It's a $200 million investment and the investment, we're told, will bring 20 routes to Cork Airport, including the introduction of new services to Birmingham and to Edinburgh. And of course, pre-pandemic, Ryanair carried some 1.4 million passengers out of out of and into Cork uh, Airport. And it actually made, when you look at Aer Lingus, obviously it's some, has pre-pandemic at about 17 routes out of Cork Airport. But Ryanair carried more than 80 percent of Cork Airport's uh, customers and of course there was devastating news last October when they announced the closure of the bases at Cork at Shannon and in uh, Toulouse and the closure of the Cork base led to the cessation of 13 of the Ryanair routes across Europe for the winter. They still operated some uh, flights but uh, the staff that they were using and the aircrafts they were using were based outside of Cork so certainly this is a good good news story both uh, for Cork Airport and for all of us for people for connectivity there's it's uh, something great for us to have flights and uh, 
places that you want to play, anywhere you want to fly to that you can fly out of Cork because I think for the for the majority of us nothing wrong with Dublin Airport that but that hike to Dublin Airport to fly anywhere and I think it's when you come back home it's landing in Dublin Airport knowing you've got the journey back there's something really comforting about landing in Cork Airport and knowing that you're close to home so a good news story with Ryanair announcing a full recovery of its pre-pandemic passenger capacity but for uh, for the staff more than anything the reopening of the two aircraft base at the airport glad to bring that good news story on a Tuesday morning 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie now independent TD uh, Verona Murphy from Wexford is calling on the government to think long and hard before they introduce a carbon budget next month. Significant rises in the cost of petrol, in diesel and in home heating fuels are expected to be part of the plans to address climate change. Deputy Verona Murphy uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Verona. Good morning, Patricia. And you, Good morning to your listeners. You're, you're very welcome. Only yesterday we had a flood of texts and calls in from listeners complaining about the price of petrol and diesel and how much it has gone up even just across this year loads of people had price comparisons they could make with earlier in the year compared to say what you're paying today do you believe many people are struggling already to cover fuel costs Absolutely. I mean, we would have had seen a drop in fuel prices during COVID when nobody required fuel because nobody was driving to work. People were at home in lockdown, etc. And since we've opened up significantly, the price of petrol and diesel has risen. Now, that's working off the same, possibly the same wage packet that you had whilst you were in lockdown. And people are having are finding that this is, you know, the cost of their fuel is going up. That takes that means the cost of getting to work is going up. But equally, when you equate that to the cost of transport and logistics, the delivery of goods has gone up. Therefore, everything that you put in your supermarket trolley has also gone up. So you'll find that your wage packet is not going as far. And the reality is energy costs are going up because of it in all sectors, home heating oil, mostly affecting the lower income earners. And that's a big concern. Now, I mean, the government can't do anything about the cost of the price of a, a barrel of oil on the on the world market, but adding additional taxes and charges is within their remit. But is there an appetite within the government to help out struggling motorists and households? Uh, I can't see that there is. I mean, if we continue with the carbon duty that was passed in the last budget that would be passed on incrementally in each budget we're really penalising those who don't have an alternative to using their car. Many parts of rural Ireland, Wexford itself here where I am is a rural county 63% of its population lives in the country without any public transport. So I think you know, driving, government will serve to drive the costs up even further and you know it's cyclical on the basis that then people feel that they're not being paid enough or that their wages aren't going far enough because costs are not they're not able to meet the rising cost and demand. So I think government needs to think long and hard about its climate uh, and carbon budget because what they have to consider implementing is policies that there's a reality to. 
you know, and that reality must be implementable and it cannot punish people to the point of where we're just going around in circles, costs keep rising, wages keep going up and Ireland becomes completely anti-competitive as a nation. Because do you accept that the government has to do something about climate change? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do believe that we need to reduce and control climate change. But there has to be, as I say, a reality to that. For instance, you know, the cost of moving goods has gone through the roof because of Brexit. We have direct ferries that are costing 50% more than what it was to use a Lambridge through the UK. On top of that, we have a shortage of drivers, which means wage costs are going up. And then diesel. So, I mean, if you add all of those things to the cost of transport, that has to be passed back to the consumer from the hauliers. So, government needs to look at how to curb cost, the increase of energy rising in the way that they don't add to that already by introducing, um, you know, maybe it should be that it's rebated to those who don't have an alternative. And that particularly is the transport and logistics sector. They have no alternative to diesel currently. Homeowners who travel to work and don't have a public transport alternative. You know, there are ways to look at this and that's what they need to do. Look at implementable, real policies. And we already pay so much, don't we, on every single litre of petrol and diesel that we buy. So much of that goes straight to the government. Absolutely. I mean, we as a nation in Europe are probably the only nation that have VRT on our cars. It's something that was supposed to be implemented for a short period of time. We've had it for many, many years now. You know, we have a high VAT rate compared to other parts of Europe. And as well as I say, our public transport network as it line, outlined around rural Ireland, is not what it should be. So people have to continue to use their cars. And whilst there are incentives there for electric cars, we don't have the infrastructure around the country to support that. I mean, it's all fine and dandy to incentivise people to buy an electric car. But if there isn't a charging point or you're going to be stuck and unable to get home for the want of a charging point or that you're queuing for hours to use a charging point, that's not an incentive. If anything, it's a disincentive. So as I say, we need to stop putting the cart before the horse. We need to look at the reality of Ireland as a small economy, a small nation. What difference can these policies make? Yes, we have got to reduce and control. But there are many things. You know, we can remove toll barriers, stop carbon emissions in relation, you know, to, to fuel emissions. We can remove toll barriers for that to be done. We can move some, if not all, of the traffic out of Dublin Port, disperse it to regional ports around the country. Uh, you know, Ross Lair can be developed in that regard. We're concentrating too much in Dublin, causing these emissions, and then we're having to pay for it in the country. And I think that's something that they need to look at seriously. Okay, Dervlin, the city says three cheers for Verona Murphy. She's talking so much sense this morning. I hope the government are listening to her. And when you mention, thank you for that, Dervlin, when you mentioned uh, hauliers, of course, you're a former uh, president of the Irish Road Haulage Association. Just on, on a different subject, you're no doubt watching what's unfolding across the waters in the UK with the shortage of uh, drivers. Do we need to be worried here? We need to be worried. We need to be making preparation. Uh, government have time because we are not at the same level as the UK. They are 100,000 short 
uh, there's 100,000 shortage in the driver fraternity. Now, we have a shortage. It is not at the stage where we can't collect milk. Uh, you know, our shelves aren't empty. We do have petrol and diesel deliveries. But the reality is there is a shortage in the workforce. It has been muted for years. The government here have time to prepare. You know, I was proactive in the IRHA by setting up a driver training programme with the educational training boards, the ETBs. It's being rolled out around the country. Unfortunately, it is not fast enough. It is not in every ETB. And the numbers that they're catering for are not high enough to take care of this shortage. We need to look at short-term plans, and that would be to issue permit, work permit visas to those in the Ukraine and countries that are prepared to come here from outside of the EU and work in the short term. And it would be a short term measure. You know, people worry that, uh, you know, we bring in permit employees and then we pay to try and keep wages down. That doesn't happen. It, it is. We have the highest minimum wage in Europe and permits are a certain level of payment. So that is not what will re- be the result of bringing in permitted employees. The reason that's not happening at the moment is that the Department of Transport, in line with the RSA, have a significant difficulty in actually passing the licence of Ukrainian drivers. So there is no reciprocal arrangement that we would recognise their licence as the equivalent of an EU licence. But many countries in the EU are doing it. Ireland isn't. And the heads within the Department of Transport and the Department of Trade and Enterprise need to get a grip, get on point, get those permits issued and the licence recognised, or we will as a country be facing the very same as the UK because not only will they have a shortage of drivers but they will take our Irish drivers because they're now offering in excess of €100,000 to drivers uh, you know, to take up that, that's, uh, that employment. And I heard from somebody within the Irish Road Haulage Association on the TV uh, last week say the average age of our drivers, I think he said it was 57. Do we have a problem encouraging young people to take it up as a career. We do, and that is partly where the shortage is coming from. We have those who are retiring and not being replaced in the lower age echelons of those coming into the sector. Now, there's many, many young people, uh, men and boys and girls, men and women, whatever, that want to join the sector but can't actually afford it. So the ETB programme is for those who have primarily left school or are on social welfare and they undertake that course for six months. But there's some who are working in jobs and would like to be able to undertake. They can't afford to leave their job, but they would like to undertake driving lessons for HGV and rigid vehicles. They just can't afford to do that. And I think government needs to go back to the basics. We have a problem here. It's been well flagged to government and previous governments for probably the last five to seven years, they need to sit up and take notice and make preparation and do not let this country run into the difficulties that the that the UK are now in. Primarily, yes, those problems are caused by Brexit, but if Britain gets a cold, we equally can get the flu or vice versa. Okay, listen, really, I can see a lot of people agreeing with you, particularly on the uh, carbon tax. I'll let you go because I know you've stepped out from a meeting and I do appreciate that. Thank you for that, uh, Verona, and thanks for joining us. Thanks. Good morning to you. That is uh, Wexford Independent Dáil uh, Deputy uh, Verona Murphy. Heidi says, good morning, uh, Patricia. I agree with Independent TD Verona Murphy. We have to stop beating the same people and the motorists up 
all of the time with more of these taxes. It seems to be taxes, never ending uh, taxes. And another listener says, Hi Patricia, I was spending €60 a week just on petrol for my car to get me to and from work. It was getting too expensive. So I went away and bought a motorbike. I'm now only spending €20 a week on petrol. Happy uh, days. Well done and stay safe on that motorbike. It can work for some people. It can't work for everybody. Now last week we had the very disappointing news from Transport Infrastructure Ireland that promised funding for the N73 Mallow to Mitchestown Road would not be forthcoming. Hauliers so frustrated with the condition of this road have decided to do another slow truck, truck protest that's going to happen this week and joining me with more details uh, Councillor Frank Roach. Good morning to you Frank. Good morning Patricia. Now Frank this isn't the first slow truck protest and I have a funny feeling it mightn't be the last. Do hauliers feel that they're simply not being listened to? Oh, sure, they, it's absolutely a disgrace. Now, why we've decided to run a second slow truck runners, uh, we got a certain amount of success from the last one, in so far as at least we got the hedges cut in the area, and we were promised funding. But um, during the whole summer long, uh, on, on, on nearly a daily basis, were ringing me about the road surface and about the hedges and the general condition of the road. Now, I feel... Uh, disappointed in so far as I would have told them that we were hopefully we were starting in mid-September and that we'd begin the road upgraded and now we're being told that they're afraid that they want a funding for 2022 now I feel I've left down my holders in so far as I when they were ringing me I was playing them along and playing them along and here we are at this stage now at the end of September and we have nothing started so we've no other choice but to run another slow truck run. And in fa- in fairness to the council, uh, Frank, uh, are the ca- the council are ready to go to tender. I mean, the, the they, they issue, they're waiting on the nod from TII. That's right, that's right. And I have no blame to Cork County Council because we can all see even the two roads running parallel to the N73, the council have done absolutely fantastic work on it. And the council has everything ready to move to TII. But then, I'm led to believe that TII need the money from the government. So it's actually the government that's holding it up in so far as uh, if they release the money to TII, TII in return will release the money to Cork County Council and we're in business at that stage. But then so, T- TII have a pot that they work from, obviously, and it's up to them to decide where the money will be spent. Because I know last week when I was discussing this with your fellow councillor, Frank, um, Frank O'Flynn, and Frank had sent me on the response that Cork County Council got from TII. And TII clearly uh, stated that they're not in a position to approve the funding. And they say that the considerable commitment already in Cork and they, may, they name schemes like the Dunkettle Interchange and the N22 Ballyvornia to McCroom, which are very oh, welcomed yeah. developments. But it was almost like, well, look, you, you guys in Cork, you're getting enough as it is. So, you know, you, you, can, you, have, you can whistle Dixie if you think you're going to get money for, for North Cork at the moment. That was well, the feeling, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that's exactly the feeling. But like, us here in Norcock, in the N73 in particular, and the N72 for that matter, they need to be upgraded. And like, in all fairness, the haulers and the people using that road on a daily basis, it's, it's, their trucks are being wrecked, they're in fear of their lives, and like, we're inclined to think of the haulers. But every person living in that locality, every man, woman and child using that road are in danger there. 
And do we have to wait till there's a fatal accident on the road to have the government wake up and release that extra bit of money that the TII needs to actually get this project in, uh, in operation? Do you know how much funding do you, is believed to be needed to address the problems on that road? Well, you see, that's the, the, the question that I'm asking Cork County Council myself. Um, like, there's a million and a half um, was allotted. Okay. No, we, we don't actually want a motorway. If the road, to be fair, if the road was actually widened five or six feet, preferably ten, but if the road, the ditch on the Shamblin Moor side of that road was actually removed, and if it was only widened that much, we, to where we don't need to buy a lot of land off landowners, and, you know, do, and a, you know, a smaller job, we're not looking for a motorway. And, like, if our, if our hedges are cut twice a year then, and if our road surface was was upgraded, I think that more taller and most people would be happy with that. But you see, what's actually happening is they're doing a very elaborate job. And like, the elaborate job is fine, but we haven't time to wait for it. Yeah, the elaborate job is fine when the road condition is, is better than it is at the moment. And also the elaborate job is fine when there's money in the pot. But when there isn't money in the pot do some remedial work, is what you're saying. Make the road a little bit safer. Well, what, what I would be suggesting is to widen it preferably 10 feet. But look, even if we got it 5 or 6 feet, and make sure the hedges are cut twice a week, the week before the closing season cut them, and the week that the season opens, cut them again, right? That would be an awful help. And like, to be fair, talking to the lorry drivers over the weekend, most of them, and they're very, very fair people, most of them, have agreed that if they got that much, they'd be satisfied. Because they're doing un, un, untold damage to their trucks well, the and they're being delayed. They, well, look, delays they can cope with, but trucks are being wrecked. I was speaking to a man last Sunday morning and he collects milk and he bought a new truck five years back. He could not get his truck to pass the, the MOT. He went over to England and brought back the truck the very same year and it walked through the MOT. Now, in all fairness, our high Irish olives are being absolutely robbed. And this is what annoys me. In particular, in Kildare Bridge, where we've already regularly doing checkpoints, and they're doing them in Mitchell The truck drivers that are using this road, where their trucks are being melted, blown off them, airbags being bust, springs being broke, everything being wrecked on it. And then with the other down at Kildare Bridge, penalising and summoning these, these hardiers who are working very, very hard to provide a service. Why don't the RSA come up the road and forget about the, 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 their testing trucks, get a few shovels and a few pickaxes and get out and stop the road from Well, they, they'll say they're doing that for road safety and to keep well, everybody sure. safe on if the road. If they're talking about road safety, you mentioned road. They should be talking about road safety, not truck safety. And I personally think they should be changing to, to v, or, or v, VSA, vehicle safety, because the road authority should give the trucks the road a proper road to drive on, and if they have a proper road to drive on, then they'll be able to make keep their trucks in a hundred percent. Okay. Because in fairness, they are keeping them in a hundred percent, and they're driving on turnable roads. Now I know with previous the previous protests, the the, the hauliers themselves they don't want to discommode too many people. So hence the reason that they always give a warning in advance of when this slow truck protest is going to happen. So have you the That's details right. of it, Frank? And Thursday morning at 9am, the trucks coming from Mid-2005 will be meeting in Kildare. 
and the trucks coming from, we'll say, the mellow side of it, will be meeting at any kitchen church. Okay. So 9am, no. the idea is that ch- they won't, children should hopefully be on the way, well at school and workers can't to work. No, we, we would welcome if the, 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 the mothers and the people dropping the children to school, we would welcome if they joined in, in, in the slow drive as well, because it is, it's a, important to the, to the people living the area <coughs> as the haulers, because for any child that's going to school today, hopefully they'll be on that road for the next 80 years. And at the way it's been looking, we're 36 years since they bought the land. We'll be another 36 years if some if somebody like myself don't come out here and fight for this to be done. Okay, all right. And that's happening on this Thursday morning. Is Thursday there also morning. talks of taking a protest to Dublin, Frank? I have a bus organised for Tuesday, the 5th of October. Uh, to be leaving Sullivan's coaches in Kildare at 9am as well. And we're taking, we're going up to outside the door. We are ho- we are meeting the independent uh, TD group. They've agreed to meet us. Uh, now, I'm hoping to meet our own local four TDs. And we're also hoping to meet the Minister for Transport. Okay. Now, this now is I'm th- using the word hoping. Yeah. I am trying my best to meet the Minister. Now, he hasn't actually responded yet. But, um... I, I, I'll do my best and and by God if you don't meet me. Well the, well, the hope now would be that we know that the budget negotiations are ongoing. Now is the time for people to that's lobby exactly, hard to be included in next month's budget. That's exactly why I've uh, organised for Thursday and that's exactly why I've organised for the following Tuesday for the bus to go to Dublin because as we all know the budget is the Tuesday after. It's two weeks, two weeks today. Yeah. If If we don't if we didn't do it in this two weeks, if we didn't do a hold our protest this week and if we didn't go to Dublin the week after, we're looking at a 12 months wait again. OK, I don't know if you could answer this or not because I know you're based in North Cork and this is a question coming in from West Cork. Denise says, uh, could you please ask your guest and our guest is independent, Cork County Councillor Frank Roach, why so many Arctic drivers use smaller country roads to avoid more congested main routes in the West Cork area? Why would truck drivers do that, go onto the smaller roads? Well, to be quite honest with you, and look, I, I don't want to be down to Gavdi on top of myself, right? But for truck drivers on the road, they're getting an awful like, Gavdi on the road by the Gavdi, the RSA, and a lot of these authorities. And they're mainly on the main roads. Now, I constantly have people ringing me, small, minor things that are cracking a mirror or cracking the lens or something like that. And I actually think that our, our authorities, and to another area that I'm, I'm finding out that, all our authorities, if we start the, 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 the transport, um, the Department of Agriculture, the RSA, the Gavi, they are gone over the top. And they're actually frightening people. And I see, I'm not talking about truck drivers at all, I see a lot of elderly people who are even afraid to drive into local towns like Mellow for my Mistletown. Because they're afraid of the girls and they're afraid of the passport. Now, People will say, oh, Jesus, Frank, you've got to draw the girls on yourself. I'm not knocking the girls, and I'm not out there criticising the girls. But we must have more common sense. And that's what's driving a lot of the vehicles onto the country roads because they're afraid to, of meeting the, the major checkpoints. And some of the problems that are wrong with their trucks, you're saying, is because of the condition of the roads. I wouldn't say some of them at all. I'd go so far as saying no. all of them. Because yeah, that's uh, broken airbags, broken springs. The list is ongoing. <clears throat> and in all fairness, to anybody, these lorry drivers and these people are getting out of their beds at 4 o'clock in the morning. 
and they're only on a medium income. They're not feeling ill by it. And their vehicles being wrecked. And then with the our authorities coming on and penalise them. So they let them be better off if they stay inside and better for them. But then if they're using, as Denise in West Cork is pointing out, if they're using the smaller country roads, those those roads were never designed to take large trucks like that. Well, that's exactly the point. I'm bringing up in water like in Shambler Moor. Cork County Council have done two major jobs on the two roads running parallel to the N73. And it is my fear in my term in Cork County Council, or at least in this term in Cork County Council, will those roads be wrecked again? Because I see it myself, and the people living in the roads are telling me that the heavy goods that I use them more now because of safety reasons. All right. Somebody says, good man, Frank, for uh, speaking up. It's from a North Cork man. OK, Thursday morning, nine o'clock, a slow truck protest on the Mallard to Mitchellstown uh, Road. Frank, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that. And, and Tuesday morning as well, if you don't mind, Tuesday morning, uh, we have a 55-season bus going from Sullivan's and Kildare up to the Dáil. So the independents have confirmed, Michael Collins, uh, TD in Westcock, has confirmed that the independent group will meet us. Hopefully our four um, East Cock TDs will meet us and the Minister for uh, Transport. OK. All right, Frank, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that. Thanks for And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is North Cork Independent County Councillor Frank Rowe. Coming up, we're going to uh, ch- chat about the cataract bus, which is very successful. We've been running between Cork and Belfast. Is it under threat due to funding? That and more in the next hour. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some reaction to my chat with Independent Councillor Frank Roach talking about the conditions of roads in particular. He's highlighting the matter to Mitchellstown Road, but just in general talking about some of our rural roads, how bad they are. And he was speaking, obviously, uh, on the... Well, he was speaking on behalf of all road users, but in particular he was speaking on behalf of hauliers because of this slow truck protest that he's involved in that's going to be happening on that road on Thursday morning. And Denise in West Cork had asked during my chat with Frank to ask why so many Arctic drivers are using smaller country roads, something that Denise has noticed, particularly in West Cork. And Denise was making the point, or I put that point, Denise's point to Frank, and he made the point that some of them were doing doing it to avoid uh, checkpoints. Well, Denise has come back to say, uh, sorry, Patricia, I actually thought Frank was a representative of the Road Hauliers Association and didn't realise he was a local councillor. And actually, what he has said makes sense. Truckers are using the more rural roads to avoid the Gardaí and checkpoints. I'm sorry now, but I have no trust in truck drivers, says Denise. I find them intimidating as a car driver in front of them and they definitely should not be allowed on roads which are, were never designed and never fit for trucks of that size, particularly the larger Arctic lorries. That's from Denise. Well, Michael in Castletown Bear says, Hi Patricia, I totally agree with Councillor Frank Roach, our roads in general are a complete and utter disgrace and the road tax, we pay for them. What do we get back? Not alone for trucks, but for the ordinary people. Cars are being wrecked after a couple of years. NCT costs an arm and a leg to get to, all because of bad roads. Nothing will be done in rural Ireland until there's immediate until there's immediate action taken by the people uh, within with the help of people like Councillor Frank Roach. So well done to uh, Frank. And then Jean uh, contacted us on this issue of the condition of roads and here's what Jean, one of our listeners, had to say. 
in the dikes. There was never water on the roads. There was never bushes sticking out on the road. You could pull right into the edge of the ditch. There was never a problem. Why now is all this happening? All our cars are ruined from travelling these narrow roads. It's just it's just crazy. I mean, they've lo- loads and loads of very um, up-to-date... Um, um, I can't think of the name of it now, for cutting down the ditches and everything. They're not allowed to cut them only at certain times of the year when they're in full bloom during the summertime and everything. And they're out across the road. There are roads that I travel and it's nearly, it, it's not so much that it's impossible, but they're one car roads. I mean, those men, they were absolutely brilliant and they really worked very hard. And, you know, they sat down and had their lunch at the side of the road and all that. We were all very friendly with them all. And we never had a problem getting to or from town. Now there's problems everywhere. You pull in, the next thing you just find scrape in your car. There's Jean, and a, and a lot of people would agree with Jean, that bring back the man with the shovel. And John in Blackpool says, did you see in the news they opened a new railway station in Dublin while so many areas of Cork have no trains and no railway lines and yet our roads are an absolute disgrace. I mean, that's the one point that Frank was making that a lot of people, if you live in a rural area, or not, wasn't Frank, it was actually Verona Murphy was making it. If you live in a rural area that you, you don't have access to buses and trains and darts and Lewis lines that you've no choice but you have to use your car. It's not that your car is a luxury. If you're living in a a city area, a car can be a luxury because you've got so much other opportunities and so much choice when it comes to public transport. That's not the case for those of us that live in rural uh, Ireland. Okay, thank you for your calls and comments on that. Also coming into us, uh, Patricia, is it any wonder pedestrians get a bad rap, says this texter. I was going to town last night. It was about 8.30. I was just gone off past the turn off for the Pike Pike Boreen. A car was coming against me and it really slowed down couldn't work out why it was going so slowly. It was only then I realised somebody was walking towards Drumahan on the wrong side of the road. No lights, no high-vis, nothing. They they appeared to be walking a dog the height of madness. So please, a kind of a cautionary word of warning to people. The evenings are starting to come in. I've even noticed in the mornings when I'm getting up, it's much darker now in the mornings. And this is even before we have the clock change at the end of next month. So people need to be careful when you're out. If you're going out to walk your dog, maybe after work in the evening time or if you're doing the morning time, make sure that other road users can see you, please. And more from West Cork says, Patricia, it makes my blood boil to read that pubs will be allowed to stay open until 6am in the morning. Who in God's name came up with that? There's enough violence and crime in our country already. They should stick with the rules that they have at the moment. I hope it won't come to pass and that it won't become law. If it does, people need to protest. God help us all. What is the world coming to? I think it's scandalous. And and I'm sure there are more people think the same like me. Keep up the good work, Trisha Moore in West Cork. Moore, just to let you know, because we did, we did deal with that topic a couple of weeks ago when it was first mooted and it is only a proposal at the moment and it is to do with the nighttime economy is what they are talking about. But it's to do with the nighttime economy in cities more than anywhere else and they're looking at nightclubs and staggering the closing time of nightclubs. It's what happens in other cities that if you allow nightclubs to open until six in the morning you find people will start going home at two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock 
different times of the morning. Whereas when you have everybody in particularly in a city in a large urban area when you have all of the nightclubs or the late bars all closing at the one time everybody piles out onto the street at the one time everyone's had a lot to drink and that's what can lead to antisocial behaviour and violence uh, etc. So the, the theory is that if you allow as I say it's in the bigger areas of populations of the cities, larger urban areas, if you allow the nightclubs to open later or late bars to open, you won't have all of that level of violence. But there's certainly in any of the proposals I've read about, there's no talks of like your your, your typical town bar or your rural pub opening until 6am in the morning. I mean, even if they were allowed, I couldn't see any of the people, any of the owners agreeing to it. Firstly, they'd find it nigh and impossible to get people to work. It It is going to also be an issue if they do go with nightclubs in cities opening until 6am in the morning, trying to find staff that are willing to work those hours is certainly going to be an issue when hospitality are already saying that they are struggling to get staff. And then on dog fouling, the bane of so many people's lives when Whenever we talk about dog poo, we just inevitably will get flooded with calls and texts and everybody seems to have their own area or somewhere where they walk or somewhere where they live or a green area where the kids go out to play. Everyone has some story to tell about people and pet owners not being responsible when they take their dogs out for a walk. Pat in from Moy says, I really don't think that the councils are taking the dog fouling issue Seriously, Pat was reading and I spotted this on the paper earlier. Not a single fine was issued by Cork City Council in the last 17 months. Pat says this is simply not acceptable. Now, Pat has brought up the issue of using DNA testing on dog poo and having a a database. So if there was dog poo found somewhere, they would be able to test it and every single dog's DNA for the area, we would match it and similar to humans DNA you can match it exactly to the dog and you'll be able to find out what dog actually made that mess and then go to that person's house the owner's house and find the owner Pat says I just find the council seem to have no interest in dealing with this uh, matter and as I say I read about it on the paper the examiner this morning have a piece and it's actually there was two councils in Munster who didn't issue any fines for dog filing and the period was from January of 2020 so January of last year up to May of this year and it was Frank is right it was Cork City Council and it was Tipperary County Council they were both identified as not having issued one single dog fouling fine over the 17 month period the councils in Munster issued in total 3,000 litter fines but out of the 3,000 litter fines just 33 were issued for dog fouling for the other counties so our own Cork County Council issued some so did Waterford City and Limerick City and County and Kerry they were responsible for for the 33 but the City Council and the Tipperary County Council didn't now that's not to say that there isn't one evidence of dog fouling in Cork City and I'm sure if I opened the phone lines and said to the said to people in Cork City, do you have nobody, no dog fouling on the streets? I'm sure I'd be inundated with people saying, would you go away and would you look at what's happening outside my front door? Now, in the examiner today, they did go to Cork City Council and speak with a spokesperson who defended the council's record and also wanted to clarify the issue of fining for dog fouling. They say a little warning warden must actually witness both the dog 
doing the poo and then the person in control of the dog neglecting to remove the faeces. The practicalities associated with this means it is almost impossible, they say, to issue fines for such offence. Now, the council spokesperson did explain that alternatively, a member of the public who witnesses a dog fouling offence sees a dog doing his business, then sees the owner walking away that they can make a complaint to if you're in the city you make it to the city council if you're in the county you make it to the county council and you can report it to the litter warden or the litter management section however this is the sting in the tail in order for a fine to be issued there the person who has witnessed the dog fouling and who makes the complaint must be able to provide the identity and the address of the person who was in charge of the dog and then the person who witnessed the dog fouling not being cleaned up, that complaint, that person must be prepared to go to court. The legal requirement for the complainant is to go to court in such cases. And it is a barrier, Cork City Council say, for members of the public proceeding with their complaints because many want to report it and they want to remain anonymous. And if they remain anonymous, there's absolutely nothing that the councils can do. But they say the bigger problem is that the litter warden literally has to spot the dog doing his business and then after that has got to wait around to make sure that the owner hasn't made any attempt uh, to clean up and then they're going to have to um, then find them and they just say that, that is impossible. 1850 John Paul and taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 086 103. Let me stay on the issue of dogs and we mentioned somebody out driving last night near Drumahan, seeing somebody out walking a, a dog. A John in Carrick Tuhill has contacted us about people out walking their dogs and scaring sheep. Good morning, John. Good morning, Patricia. Thank you for taking my call. No, no problem. This is an issue. This is people out walking their dogs are, they, are off leads, obviously, is it? Yes, they're walking along the beach and cove and they're walking down through the woods and they're leaving their dog loose and they don't realise there are sheep there were 60 sheep and they were hunted yesterday evening, driven down over cliffs and driven down onto the beach and we were all morning looking for them and all night last night. And um, thankfully we, we have them all except one. And um, she was on the rocks apparently with the dogs, a big dog, somebody leaving their dog loose and they hunted the sheep. Oh. And, and we, have the, we have the same problem in the court of wood outside Middleton. We have land there that we couldn't graze, grazing ground and... Um, they were leaving their dogs off there last year and we lost seven sheep over it last year and loads of sheep with dead lambs and sheep that uh, end up that they die because their lambs are dead inside them and everything. That is very sad to see it. And are the owners, John, do you believe, unaware of what the dogs are doing when they leave them off the lead? Well, I was at a, a meeting recently and a member of the forces was saying, oh, I love that cord of wood. He said, you can leave your dog off there. There's no harm. But they don't realise that the wood veers into agricultural land with gates or uh, drains and things like that. The dogs can shoot up, hunt the sheep for two or three minutes and come back again. And they don't realise that the dog is after hunting sheep. And the damage that the dogs uh, the have done. done. Are there any yeah. signs? Could any signs be put up to alert people to it? We put up signs and uh, they come along and they pull them down and everything like that. Uh. Because they reckon they have a right to walk their dogs. 
Uh, you have a right to bring your dog for a walk, but keep it on a lead. You don't, I mean, you don't leave a dog, leave any dogs loose, particularly when there's yeah. sheep around. And, you know, in defence of, you know, you have people saying, oh, my dog would never do that. It's in the dog's instinct every to do dog, it. Every, every dog will hunt sheep. And if he's not, if he's, he won't hunt sheep if he's not a dog. <laughs> okay, that's okay, the, name, the, the name the areas again just to alert people, in, please. In the Corrowood on north of Middleton on the Lisgool Road, there's a, an area there's a lovely area for dogs, and we don't mind people walking the dogs in the wood, but the dog must be kept on a lead all the time. Okay, well done. Okay, well done. Unless he's a very old dog and he's only barely able to walk behind you, that's fair enough. Well, that's okay. Once the dog is in your, is you have the dog with you, you know, but it's, it's people, as you say, leaving dogs off, the dogs disappear. In three, four minutes, the damage that they can do. In 15 seconds, the dog can go into the field, up a drain where the water goes down, hunt the sheep above, drive them around the field, and when they call the dog back two or three minutes later, he had have thousands euros worth of damage done to the sheep and when they got a lamb down the lambs are dead inside them and the chances are you lose the sheep that's dreadful that's dreadful so you have one sheep last year with 28 they had 28 lambs because we got the bit to open them they had 28 lambs dead and 7 sheep died as a result of being hunted by two dogs in that's the awful that's just so sad and so and upsetting my, my, my wife is below in the wood now in uh, Marlowe trying to find the last sheep that's missing and um, we found signs on the rocks and people, some people are great. They ring you up and they tell you that, though we saw such a sheep and they're great that way. But um, I was down there this morning. I had the binoculars across the, the, the water and there's five people with dogs there this morning and they are loose. All right, come on, folks, please, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, the police need to prosecute people who leave their dogs loose. Along the beach there, and I hope to fair the people that be out there maybe swimming. There's a lovely beach along there. You have to go down through the wood to get into it. And... Um, there's gravel wood there and everything like that and the water's clean there and um, they have their dogs there and they're running the dogs along the beach big time. Okay. Yeah. All right, John. Listen, thanks for alerting Thank our attention to it. Our, our pleasure. Our pleasure. And good luck with finding your last sheep. Thanks for that. Thanks Mike. a million. Bye-bye, John in Carrick Tuchel, 1850 Lines open. C103 Jobs. Ground workers, shuttering carpenters and concrete finishers are all wanted for work in Cork City and County. Declan is your contact, 87 A caretaker slash groundskeeper is wanted. It's for a CE scheme in the Grenat Blarney White Church area, 021 438 Teleporter driver wanted, that's for work in Cork City, the north side of Cork City. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com and a general assistant is required for full and part-time hours in a furniture and carpet store in LEP. Full driver's licence CVs please to Teresa at crowleymccarthy.ie You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Many people have benefited from the so-called cataract bus, which has seen people travel from all over Cork to Belfast for 
for urgent cataract operations. There's no doubt over the future of the service. And joining me with more details, Independent Dáil Deputy Michael Collins, who was one of the first to start operating these buses out of the West Cork area. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Now, are we back to, is this down to Brexit and how the scheme is funded? Yeah, unfortunately, we're back to the same situation uh, as we found ourselves in, in the latter end of last year. Uh, at that time, there was uh, huge discussions in relation to the future of the EU cross-border directive, um, which was obviously coming to an end with the, the fact that England and Northern Ireland would be leaving Europe. Um, they replaced that in the first few days of January with and the Northern Ireland planned healthcare scheme, which works the very same way as, as the previous scheme worked and is badly needed in a I suppose, a country that is closing on a million people waiting for uh, operation procedures. But the problem was they only put this new scheme in place for 12 months. And, you know, we're, we're now faced in, in, facing into October, not sure whether this scheme is going to survive or not. And that's um, the argument that we must take back, uh, take up in the doll, which I will be this week. But, Patricia, it's very disappointing because, I mean, you know, my belief is if they're putting in some kind of a, a scheme in place that it should be indefinitely going forward until the issues that need to be resolved and so be resolved and they're not being resolved at the present time. Yeah, and just to remind people, people pay for upfront and then they get uh, reimbursed. So what are the HSC telling people at the moment who are applying for the scheme? At the moment, uh, they can guarantee they'll be reimbursed up until the last day of December. There is no guarantee after that. And that's, well, where that's we exactly were. where we were last year. Exactly. And that was the, we were being promised at the time that there was a scheme going to be put in. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Long-term, that hasn't happened. I've raised the issue in the doll. 
um, with Minister McGrath in relation to the finances of it. He said they're looking into it and no decision had been made. That was going back maybe towards the end of May and June. And unfortunately, it's just going to heading into October and we're in the same situation as we were in last year that no one can guarantee they're going to get surgery in Northern Ireland under this cross-border scheme, which is an excellent scheme, I have to I have to admit. Obviously, we'd all love these surgeries to be taken place locally in Cork County or Kerry or wherever you come from, but that, that's not happening. So it's the only solution for quite a lot of people for hips, knees, obviously the cataract is a huge one. And I find there in the last few weeks, a step of people are frantically worried Again, some may not need to be that worried if they thought it was going to continue until uh, continue indefinitely. They could put off the surgery maybe until next year, but no, they're frantically worrying that this isn't going to happen and they're doing, taking the urgent journey now, which may not be required if the announcement was made, if it's going to be made. And again, we had a similar interview and the, that similar point was made this time last year with this rush for people to get in because they were fearful that if the scheme would be closed. And we were promised at the time that this is resolved in a day. I don't call a solution something that lasts 12 months. Glad we were to get that 12 months. Yes, I accept that. And unfortunately, most of that 12 months, and you can look at the figures that are down this year, people crossed the border, but the reason was it was discontinued for the first nearly six months of the year because of the pandemic um, and, the, and the high numbers. Oh, of yeah, the and, and people and couldn't travel. And now, unfortunately, we're facing now the fact that the whole scheme could collapse if, if the government isn't going to commit uh, to, you know, continuing the scheme. And as I said, uh, we can't be in a situation where, and I've, I've raised that in the doll, that we can't be in a situation where this is going to continue for 12 more months, maybe, or not. Uh, it needs to be indefinitely going forward because the uh, uh, waiting lists are, are rising. Is it that 900 and something thousand people are waiting for procedures in the country? And this is a solution for those who are mostly in pain or more, are very close, close to going blind. Yeah, the figures on the waiting list, and, and I know COVID had, had added to the list and then we had the HSE cyber attack. But they, they actually reckon that the figures will get close to a million people on a hospital waiting list. We're over 900,000 uh, people. I mean, even since this time last year, almost 70,000 extra were added to the list. I mean, the waiting lists are just getting longer and longer. So, uh, so the yeah, cross-border yeah. scheme, you know, while it isn't the complete answer to the over nine hundred thousand people, but it will get some people off those waiting lists. It will, the, the, as I said, the close the people that are in the greatest pain that can't wait, are the people that are almost blind that can't wait. You know, it's a solution for them. Um, but the problem is, and I'm totally convinced that the God, when the pandemic comes or eases off or comes to an end. Uh, next year that the biggest crisis we're going to have in this country is, is the health crisis and the waiting list in this country. And, I, you know, we've been in, in, in uh, consultation with uh, dental surgeons in, in Northern Ireland now too to look after uh, young people who are orthodontic, uh, wait, they're on the orthodontic waiting list since 2017 to see can we take the children to the north to get this procedure done under the EU, or sorry, under the Northern Ireland planned healthcare scheme. It's a new initiative we're trying to start and we're making very good progress on it, but it's the only solution that I can offer people. And I presume other politicians are in the same boat. They can't offer them the procedures to be carried out here within a period of five, six, seven months. It's we're, we're saying, you know, people that come to me, they want cataract surgery. Says they rang, rang them, they were told, yeah, you're, we look after you 2024 to 2025. And they're saying, I'm going blind, I can't. I had a lady yesterday in Cork City told me she fell on Thursday because she had two eyes. She's almost blind in her two eyes. And she said, it's not happening. 
to me for until 2024. That's what they told me. So she said, I'm desperate to get to the dark to get this started. And, that's God, the situation yeah, and I mean, we're talking about people living independently and wanting to live independently. You take somebody's sight away from them. And, you know, suddenly they they are in huge difficulty trying to live independently. I'm just taken aback by the the very thought of putting children on a bus or in a car for orthodontic treatment and send them to Belfast just seems uh, ludicrous. But actually on that whole thing with children's waiting lists, I mean, we're talking about the 900,000 on the adult waiting list. We're now gone over 100,000 children on waiting lists for treatment and diagnostic tests. I mean, I heard yesterday of a young lad. He is just into his teens, so 13, 14, and he has a very serious neurological disorder and he needs to see a neurologist. And his mother got an appointment date for 2035. He'll actually be an adult. So by the time he gets the appointment, sorry, we can't deal with you because we're the children's services. I mean, is there a computer somewhere spitting out an appointment that would say 2035? Well, unfortunately, the healthcare uh, system we have in this country is is is, is completely and has been for many years. It isn't just now, but it's got, it's got worse and worse. And I think it got you know the crisis got hidden behind the the bigger crisis, which was the the COVID crisis. Now that's it eating somewhat, and and the real crisis is starting to show its face again. And and that's the, the the people that are desperately desperately trying to get get care for their children. Like I mean, when I mention orthodontic, there it's it's no way I should be even considering sending people. But we're looking at carpooling or where you know because children have to go up a considerable amount of times. But it's a solution that we can say that this is sorted for a child that you know is stressed out to have ter- situations with their with their teeth, and 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 it can't be done here. And there's a waiting list, as I said, since two. 2017 people still waiting and we can't believe that continue and it's a solution that I can offer people it's up to them yeah, and parents par- listen you'd go to the moon and back for your child uh, Michael I think any parent yeah. uh, will identify with that and I mean the one that I th- I feel for parents who are you know waiting in those waiting lists a third of the people on those waiting lists have been on the waiting list for o- over 18 months if you have delays in assessing hearing and speech problems. That has a massive impact on a child's uh, development and they might never get they might never get those skills if you don't get in there early enough with the treatments that's needed. And unfortunately Patricia, it's, it's the waiting lists are getting longer and longer and it's more, more and more difficult for the system, for us in the political system out there to resolve that situation basically to resolve it, to get an appointment for somebody so you have to come up with solutions slightly outside the box and, and that's what we're looking at the whole time and this Northern Ireland planned healthcare scheme has to continue indefinitely. We have to have an announcement that it's going to continue over the next number of years, you know, and let other issues resolve itself in that time. If it does, then they can really look at it for, for now. Um, people are desperate to, to make sure that this scheme continues and I certainly will be pushing that in the dog uh, in the week coming. Uh, well, I think if we have if, if we have waiting lists down to what was, for example, p- promised under the Sloan to Care healthcare reform, I mean, they were talking at that stage 10 weeks for an outpatient and uh, 12 weeks for inpatient day case. If we get to that stage, then we don't need people to be travelling on buses or carpooling to go to Belfast for operations. But until we do, we need to have every system in place that will get people off waiting lists. June has been on to us to say she travelled on one of the buses uh, going to Belfast back in early August. She's still waiting to be reimbursed from the HSE. Does Michael know anything? Is that unusual from August, September, October? Um, it is, it, nearly it two un- months. It is unusual for, uh, this, uh, we'll say this year, 
it wasn't likely because they were absolutely inundated. I think things have, you know, once the levels of, of people going to the north rise, and, and, and that wasn't the case early on this year because of the pandemic, once it rise, it was pressure on the HSE in Kilkenny's across border team in Kilkenny, who have been absolutely excellent, though, in fairness. And I, I, I mean, I think, fairness, if we contacted them for the, 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 the issue of payment, uh, almost immediately. They've been very good, usually it's about five weeks. That's the usual wait for the reimbursement. Okay, the 9th of August, no, she's well gone. She's nearly coming up to two months. We have mm. June's details. Can we pass them on to you and you might be able Please to look into yeah. it? We'll okay. Look into uh, it. All right, and listen, keep us informed because I can see a lot of people talking about how successful the, the bus has uh, been and so many people, you know, saying this is something I'm going to need uh, into the future. And just on a different uh, topic, what have you been hearing locally about the one of the independent living homes operated by Co-Action in West, in West Cork? Well, uh, Patricia, this is in uh, Castletown Bayer. Uh, it's, it's due to close uh, with three residents in it, you know, maybe age from, uh, with intellectual disabilities, age from uh, 50 years of age to over 70 years of age. It's uh, closed in November due to staffing uh, crisis, it says. And the, these residents are being moved. There's no guarantee. There's some rumours they're being moved to Skibbereen. It's terrible unfair and it's fierce upsetting for the families in Castletown Bear uh, who have been in contact with me, pleading with me to try and resolve the issue. I contacted Coaction last week. I still await a week ago. I wait a reply from them. But I've been told behind the scenes that it's a staffing issue. But remember... Yeah, Patricia, well, yeah go on. Yeah, remember Bantry Hospital was a staffing issue. South Dock in Castletown Bear is a staffing issue. Coaction is a staffing issue. What's wrong with our country? You know, I mean, these are people that can't fight for themselves. And, uh, you know, another thing too is, you know, we've been always advised that uh, people with intellectual disabilities, we should be phasing them into independent living. Now these people are living in some situation like that, and now that it's been taken away from them and they'll move away 100 miles away maybe from their local families. I, I, I'm astonished to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, and we, when, when we knew that we were going to be talking with you about it today, we did contact uh, Coaction and exactly what you say, uh, they say it's a staffing issue. They say they've had repeated ads on local media. They've advertised online. They've liaised closely. They say it was up to 11 employment agencies and they literally can't get suitably qualified staff to work in the house out on the Bear Peninsula. Now they're saying it's three people are going to have to be located uh, in uh, Bear and two in the other co-action houses in Bantry and in Skibbereen. And I can understand, Michael, it's family members who would be visiting their loved ones are now going to have this much longer journey. That's the, that's what it comes down to. The families have been in contact with me over maybe a week and a half, but I thought maybe we could resolve the situation without having to go too public, but unfortunately we won't. Remember, this, this, this is going to cause fear right across people that are in co-action homes throughout the country, the community fundraise for these houses. Now, uh, and, and, and in fairness, the fishermen's co-op in Castletown Bear, they, they bought um, one of these houses in Castletown Bear to encourage independent living. This is no encouragement to independent living because when the doors are being closed in November and and, and um, people that residents have been in those homes for many years and happy to be there in these as close to independent living as they could, um, are now going to be moved... Uh, well over an hour and a half journey away from their loved ones. It's causing fierce upset and I can't see that this is allowed to continue and that the Minister must involve herself in to make sure that the right package is put in place to make sure employees are taken on and are encouraged and I can certainly, I can't see that people would love to work um, with people within the... Well, uh, they, you know, and they say in their press release that they're struggling to maintain services in many of their areas. It's not just the house in Abera. They do say 
Um, they do hope that they and they say relocating is is the, the last resort and they do hope that um, you know they will be one day able to reopen the house once they get suitably qualified uh, staff they will be able to return the three individuals to their home and they acknowledge that this is their home uh, in Abera. I mean we do have to look at this bigger issue of staffing I mean I, are you are you disputing that people are you saying do you feel people do want to work but there's not what's what's wrong I think we need to have a deeper look at at what's going on like I mean look we did speak about this in relation to mental hospitals I know there are different level of professionals there in relation to consultants we've talked about this in relation to South Dock HSE told me the issue was resolved Uh, over the weekend I find out whatever the the resolution made it collapsed over the weekend and we're back to square one uh, in in relation to staffing uh, again in a different field and now it's it's with coercion the staffing surely be to God we have to find out why aren't people uh, interested in in joining uh, in coercion to you know to to, to take care of the people with intellectual disabilities that's an issue that has to be resolved that's an an issue that the Minister has to get herself involved in is it the pay is not enough is it the conditions is not good enough surely there's something here that can you know rectify this matter it's just we I know for a fact I've seen it before any centre or any place that ever closes never reopens again yeah, and, and uh, yeah. that was put the fear of God across, across the people that have fundraised right throughout the country to think that you know they fundraise for these beautiful homes to be built and these beautiful homes to be bought and now these are being closed and, and the people that they love most are being moved away some people that have maybe spent tens of thousands themselves to make sure that they're you know, in, in comfortable living and it's not happening and it, it can't be allowed to happen. We have here until November to resolve this issue and I'm urging everybody, including myself and everybody to get involved to find a solution here. Well, Co-Action say at the end of their press release, Michael, that they're meeting with local public representatives next week to discuss the crisis and they're looking for your support, which no doubt will be forthcoming in raising the current challenges with government colleagues. I mean... What would I look you, forward to that. Yeah, and uh, what would I, you I hope? Yeah, what I, would you I, I, hope I, I, can be done, though? Well, I certainly we need to get the minister involved in this. Minister Anne Rabbit in her own the table to to force a solution. Like, and, and obviously, I'll find out from Coaction Direct because I I contact them last week. I'm waiting for them to come back to me to, to give us the facts of what's wrong. What do they see as the solution? Because surely they're doing the interviews. They 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 must know what's the what's the solution or what is the solution is. But certainly, the solution is enclosure. That has to be the very very last that happens here. So the solutions have to be found from uh, within the, the interview process, within the financial process or whatever to resolve this certainly closure of the last word. I mean they're saying suitably qualified staff I don't exactly know what level of qualification they're looking for uh, to work in these houses but they're looking because we know uh, we have people on the unemployment, we have people on the pandemic payment. I mean surely there are workers in West Cork that want to come off the live register and want to come off a pub payment and want to go out to work? Well, I'd just love to know what what qualifications um, uh, do they need. I mean, we have fantastic people on, on home helps. We have fantastic people that are willing to work. I can guarantee there's a whole lot of people in Castledown there and other places that are willing to do voluntary work as well uh, to make sure that something like this doesn't happen. And maybe that has to be looked at. Unfortunately, if they can get the staff there immediately, maybe a voluntary staff there in, uh, just initially to get us over the situation. In. But as I said to you, Patricia, and to the listeners, in fairness, there's a rain, there's no, uh, rain of terror over and, and fear over the, uh, people with intellectual disabilities and their families in Castletown Bear and maybe other places in Wisconsin. And certainly a solution must be found. And closure is not a solution. That's the worst case scenario uh, here. So a solution has yeah. to be found, whether it is voluntary, whether it is a ministerial intervention, 
whether it is whatever it is it has to be found here before disclosure happens in November Okay and I don't know if agency staff is, is an option or not but they do say in their press release co-action that uh, relocating people is very much a last resort for them and you know let's call it spade a spade the work that West the co-action does in West Cork is incredible I mean they are uh, an amazing organisation Okay listen keep us abreast if you hear any more on that and also keep us updated on the cataract bus and John Paul will pass you on June's contact details just see if we can get June's money reimbursed to her as she had her operation back in August Listen Michael thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme that is West Cork Independent uh, Dáil Deputy Michael Collins Our lines are open 1850 333 103 Cork today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie In the next hour we'll be speaking with Joe Heffernan he's dealing with problem gambling on the programme today and we're also going to be speaking with the journalist from Primetime Investigates they have an investigation into the Cork University Hospital Maternity Hospital we'll find out more about that in the next hour Premier League Live is back this Saturday on c103.ie with Trevor Welch it's powered of course by Talk Sport we'll bring you live coverage this Saturday of Manchester United versus Everton that's at 12.30 Wolves versus Newcastle United, that's at three in the afternoon and then Brighton are taking on Arsenal, that's our final match at 5.30pm on Saturday. That's the Premier League live online would now stream live Premier League action with the Now Sports, our Sports Extra membership. Listen Saturdays on Cork's C103 app or you can go to c103.ie Now some of your calls and comments coming in. A couple of people are questioning did I mention the slow truck protest on the Mallet Mitchestown Road and somebody said, "Is it tomorrow? What day is it on?" It's on Thursday morning, and it's due. Frank Cancer Frank Roach joined us to talk about it. It is due to kick off at nine o'clock on Thursday morning. The idea is that the hauliers want to get their message across, but they don't want to discommode people going to school or going to work, so they don't start until nine. When hopefully, if you need to be at your desk for nine, or you need to have the children dropped to school, they won't be discommoding people. So it's this Thursday uh, morning, and on the bad road surfaces on our rural roads still getting a lot of commentary in on this a West Cork listener says bad road surfaces causes damages to vehicles the vehicles then require unnecessary import of parts which in turn puts pressure on our economy how right you are thank you for your text Sandra Inglis Griffin says if only we had one of the Jackie Healy Rays here in North Cork we'd have the best roads in the country we need a we need a Jackie Healy Ray or a Michael Healy Ray or a Danny Healy Ray elected to North Cork. Uh, that's what people need to elect for our uh, roads. Also on uh, roads, somebody else. Oh, this is a listener from just it signed the North Cork man uh, who reckons lorry drivers are the very best. If you're out and they need you need somebody to give give way it'll always be a truck driver or a lorry driver will do it they are certainly the best we were talking about dog fouling that came up earlier on as well and then we had John in Carrick sharing his story about his sheep being chased by people leaving their dogs off leads when you're going into wooded areas you need to be very careful 
you know, it's fine to leave your dog off a lead, but you need to be aware of the surroundings and where you are. And when the dog goes out of sight, just as John said, in those few minutes, the amount of damage and danger that can be done to the sheep or any other wildlife. So you do need to be aware of where your dog is at all times. I heard you talk about dog fouling, says this uh, texter, and I have a dog. And I agree that everybody should be picking up and be responsible pet owners and pick up after your dog. I heard John, the farmer, talking about his uh, sheep. These are sheep that he obviously intends to kill for money. But regardless, I live in a country area and the roads are covered in large excrement from horses and cows and much larger animals than dogs. And I've never heard anyone held to account or told to clean up after their animals. Um, they may be, you can come to some areas where there's so much animal waste from cows and horses that you may not be able to proceed if you are going for a walk. So this is something for agricultural workers and farmers that needs to be addressed as well. Don't be putting all the blame, please, on pet owners and dog owners. There's no name on that. What else is in on dog fouling? Mary says, give the powers to the... This is in response to the piece that I did about they've they've shown throughout Munster how many litter fines were handed out over... It's really over the 18 months of the pandemic and there was about 3,000 fines issued across all of Munster. But there was only 33 for dog fouling of which none were given out by Cork City Council or by Tipperary County Council. And that is not to say that there's no dog fouling problem in Tipperary or in Cork City. But I mentioned the piece that Cork City Council defended it saying look, it's not our litter warden's fault it's very hard to actually catch a, catch a dog doing his business and then witnessing the owner walking away very hard to issue those fines. Mary has a solution. Give the powers to the dog wardens and the litter wardens to stop anyone who's out walking a dog. Ask them to show their pooper scooper or their plastic bags that they have with them to prove that they're, they're in a position to clean up after their dog if the dog decides to go to the toilet while they're out for the walk. Make it compulsory that everyone takes and carries these simple items with them and just give that power to the litter warden or the dog uh, warden. And actually, that's something that works very successfully, Mary, in other countries, as many other countries uh, do that. And one I've spoken about in the past is Australia. And I've been on holidays in Australia. In almost seems like a previous life now. And I've been out with my sister-in-law walking the dog in the mornings or in the evening time. And we've been stopped, numerous times stopped by the litter warden to say, excuse me, where are your dog bags, your your poo bags? And we have to prove that we have them. My sister-in-law has to prove we have them with them. And if you don't, I think it's a $100 fine instantly. You just get handed a, a fine. And I tell you, it puts, it puts manners on people. And I have to say, in all the walks that I had when I was in Melbourne, in Australia, I wasn't walking around trying to avoid dog poop. People are very, very responsible. And the very fact that they know they're under threat of being fined if they don't have their bags with them you can be guaranteed everyone has their bags and everybody cleans up after themselves as well. And Mary, also on the point we were talking about pubs and there is this talk about the nighttime economy and allowing clubs and late night bars to open until 6am in the morning. Mary says they, there won't be a danger of uh, anyone if people come out at bars at 6am in the morning, there won't be a danger to anyone because they literally will be so drunk. The danger will be they'll end up in A and E and will end up not having an ambulance available because the ambulances will see, be so busy picking up all of those people who will be very drunk on our streets. So I take it from that, Mary. You're not in favour 
of that proposal to allow nightclubs and late bars to open until 6am. We were talking about waiting lists in the last hour when I was speaking with Deputy Michael Collins. Uh, Heidi says the HSE is not fit for purpose. It simply needs to be restructured. Heidi reckons there's a lot of dead wood within the HSC. I don't think anyone at the HSC will agree with you on that. But anyway, but we need to do something on waiting lists. Absolutely. And I know with the Sloan to Care Health Reform Strategy, the aim of Sloan to Care was to bring waiting lists 10 weeks for outpatients and 12 weeks for inpatient day cases were nothing near that. So the Minister is understood now to be putting in a funding request for a budgetary allocation of millions of uh, euros Stephen Donnelly is trying to establish a task force in the coming weeks. He's going to draw on membership from the Department of Health, from the HSE and the National Treatment Purchase Fund. And they're trying to see what they can do about waiting lists, a shorter term waiting list plan designed to address the impact of COVID and the cyber attack. He says will also be put in place for the rest of the year. But this task force that he's hoping to set up will then set targets for waiting list reductions and they will be tasked with monitoring compliance in a meeting and we will wait and see. I know the Minister hopes to bring a memo to government also for the provision of three new elective hospitals, one for Dublin, one for us here in Cork and one for uh, Galway and obviously if we got three new elective hospitals in all of those areas it would help to reduce the waiting times for uh, for elective surgery. What we will wait and see, does that come to fruition? 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your call Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Home bingo books are on sale locally in the Kildallery area. There is a snowball prize there of €300. Euro. Mallow Meals on Wheels. They deliver hot, nourishing dinners Monday to Friday to the elderly, to the housebound, and the infirm in the Mallow area. Weekend meals can also be arranged. If you or someone you know would like to avail of the Mallow Meals on Wheels service then can you please call 022 51441 that's between 10am and 1pm daily or you can contact Eleanor at 087 289 GAA Weekly Bingo is returning this Thursday night 8 o'clock it'll be in Bandon GAA Pavilion HSC COVID guidelines will apply and next, next Saturday Drimmer League Autumn Fate will be held in Glenellan Farm. Now a shuttle bus will run from the railway yard which will start from 1.30 onwards. There'll be lots of attractions and events on the day and all proceeds are going to the Cork Ark Cancer Support. Cork Today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie As we've been hearing on our news all morning, an investigation is underway at Cork University Maternity Hospital after multiple baby organs were incinerated abroad without the consent or without the knowledge of the bereaved uh, parents. RTE are doing a primetime investigates programme on this topic tonight and joining me the reporter Aoife Hegarty. Uh, good afternoon to you Aoife. Good afternoon and, and thank you very much uh, for joining us. I suppose firstly how did families become aware that their baby's organs had been sent abroad for incineration I believe along with clinical waste? 
Yeah, this incident all came to light last May, Patricia, when out of the blue those 18 families who had lost babies at CUMH months earlier received an unexpected call from hospital staff to tell them that the organs that had been retained at post-mortem stage had been incinerated and they wouldn't be able to get them back. Now, HSC standards are very clear. They state when families agree to organs being retained at post-mortem stage for further examination that one of two things should happen. Hospitals should either support the next of kin by facilitating their return or they arrange their sensitive disposal by burial or cremation only. So you can only imagine the shock that these parents got when they received the calls. And there are people like Leona Birmingham and Glenn Callanan who you've seen in tonight's report. They had twin boys, Lee and Lewis, at CUMH in September 2019. One of their boys, Baby Lee, died a few hours after birth and they agreed to a postmortem to try and find out what had happened. Now, Leona, tonight you'll hear her describing getting that call, her reaction to it, and how she found it difficult to process the enormity of what she was being told. So she therefore asked for a letter from the hospital detailing what had gone wrong. A week later, she got that letter. It was just a few lines long. And it took six months to eventually arrange to meet with the hospital. And it was at that point that they learned that the organ that had been retained and incinerated from baby Lee was indeed his brain. It had been sent to a clinical waste facility, as you say, along with clinical waste to Belgium, uh, in uh, Antwerp in Belgium. And as you'll hear Leona saying tonight, it was at that point that their worlds just came crashing down around them. Her beautiful little baby's brain. God help them. God, and as they're still grieving the loss of that uh, child, and will probably grieve the loss of that child uh, for life. And Aoife, normally in in normal practice, is there a burial area at CUMH? Yeah, well, internal hospital correspondence that we've seen shows that mortuary staff at CUH were aware in early 2020 that their burial plot for the interment of organs was full. They then made several attempts unsuccessfully to find alternative burial space and they decided that cremation at the county's crematorium was not an option. The result of that was that those multiple baby organs that had been released by the pathology department following post-mortem lay in storage in the hospital's morgue, in some cases, Patricia, for several months. But then, move on to March 2020, the coronavirus arrived and finding itself facing this potential for increased deaths, it was decided to free up space in the mortuary. And that's when the decision was made to send these organs abroad for incineration, saying that it was made out of absolute necessity and desperation. It is worth noting, though, that one email we've seen from the hospital is that some of these organs were released by the pathology department for burial as far back as November 2019, obviously quite a bit before any COVID crisis hit Ireland. Now, a statement issued to us on behalf of CUH apologised for the distressing incident, saying it occurred under very extenuating and unprecedented circumstances brought about by the pandemic, while CUMH said it was not aware of the decision to send the perinatal organs for incineration prior to it occurring. Nonetheless, an investigation has been commissioned into the incident and that review is expected to be finalised by the end of October or early November. 
And we have a wonderful uh, crematorium here in Cork, uh, Aoife. And I just can't understand why they weren't able even to go down the, the route of cremating. Because there's a huge difference between going to a crematorium and cremating the organs and incinerating them along with clinical waste. There's a massive difference, isn't there? Well, that will be one of the questions that parents will hope the review uh, will answer when it is complete as to why cremation was not considered to be an option. But yes, as you rightly say, there, uh, you know, the process of cremation and burial is much more respectful and sensitive. And you'll hear from experts tonight in the programme who will talk about the fact that when parents do not know in a symbolic way where a part or an organ or of their child is, they simply cannot move forward. They cannot reach any closure. Um, and it is something that is very traumatic for them as they attempt to grieve for the loss of their child. OK, I have a little clip actually from Leona Birmingham and her partner, uh, Glenn, uh, because I, I love the fact you've called the name of the programme Losing Lee, uh, because as as you mentioned, they had twin boys, Lewis and Lee, and, and sadly Lee didn't make it. But here's just a little clip from uh, Aoife's Primetime Investigates tonight. <laughs> The letter was a few lines of, I'm sorry if um, you're feeling anxious and please contact us if you, if we, if you have any further questions. Um, and I remember at the time feeling so angry. I thought, how dare they apologise for how I'm feeling, how we're feeling, but not... How do they know how we were feeling? But not apologise for what's after happening. I think it's just pure disrespectful to be quite truthful about it. Like, first time parents having to lose and the already was hard enough and then to be expecting, like, you know, a letter was what's happened and where they've been gone and just to get that was... <laughs> I don't even know what to answer, to be honest. It was just heartbreaking, like. And then just to see her face, she just went white. She just broke down, like. So we met with the hospital staff and I suppose our first question was, what organs did you take from Lee? And they told us basically it was his brain that they kept and that the brain was incinerated abroad. So a specialist company came and took the brain away. And they told us it was in Antwerp in Belgium and our our world came crashing down around us. Goodness me, that's hard. I imagine if it's it parts of the programme tonight, it's going to be a tough watch. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's very sensitive for these families. Um, you know, they they have. You will hear what one of their they're actually their solicitors say it's like a double trauma for them, and they were already traumatised by the loss of a son. Um, and then they were at home with a newborn baby, uh, trying to deal with that grief while being busy, new first-time parents. And then to receive this news was like a double trauma. OK, listen, uh, well done. A number of people want to congratulate uh, you in particular and the uh, RT Investigates. You've done some amazing uh, programmes in the past. Uh, so well done. So it's Losing Lee and it is on tonight on prime time at 9.35, just right after the nine o'clock news. And it'll obviously also be available on the RTE player. Listen, Aoife, thank you for that. And thanks for taking time out to talk to us today. 
Thanks, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you, or good afternoon, as it is this stage. That is Aoife Hegarty. As I say, I think that is going to be quite a tough, tough watch uh, tonight. 1850 at 333-103. Just very quickly, just look at a couple of texts that are coming in. Somebody says, Patricia, the suggestion for dog walkers cleaning up after dogs, having to have always have bags with them or to find them when people are walking a dog, having a bag doesn't always mean that they're going to clean up after their uh, dogs. Hi, Patricia, just wondering about dogs chasing sheep. What about dogs who constantly bark all day and barking until 11.30 at night or later? The council and the guardie who it's been reported to appear to do nothing. Surely there must be something that the council can do. It's a council house and a council estate. I'm just wondering why the council will not do anything or indeed the Gardaí and I'm assuming that this Mitchellstown council residence has reported to both the Gardaí and to the council and getting nowhere with it. And then somebody was responding to our piece that we did with Deputy Michael Collins when we were talking about co-action closing one of their houses and hopefully it's only temporarily closed and and they issued us with a statement saying it was a staffing uh, issue. Well, a listener says, Hi, I heard about Coaction's dilemma in not being able to recruit staff. Well, I applied for two posts with the disability, within the disability sector as a support worker. Although unsuccessful, I was asked to consider being on a bank of staff for cover if needed. Got the guard, the vetting, it was all approved. However, no contact or record was ever made. I recently applied for another post and had acknowledgement of receipt of my CV. No further contact to acknowledge if the post had been filled. I contact them and similar again, they were unaware if the post had been filled and they would get back to me. By the way, they never did. I've worked in healthcare and I've always had very positive feedback. I'm not suggesting that I was the ideal uh, candidate, but would advise the disability service need to improve their communication as this is a very rewarding area of work. I'm obviously not naming the, the sector because I'd have to prove that it happened and all of that. But is that a problem within the disability sector that there are people applying for jobs and for whatever reason and I don't know what the reason are why are those posts not being filled let's uh, see what happens uh, Michael Collins said it's certainly something he's looking into and co-action themselves are hoping to meet with all the elected reps next week to try to get the bottom of if we have so many people on the live register and so many people on pop payments why are people not willing to do these jobs now I know I've got somebody else is saying that a lot of the problem within the disability sector is that they don't offer enough hours aren't offered people are just offered a few hours here and a few hours there and it isn't worth somebody taking up uh, the job and that could be an issue as well Okay, let's see if you're there 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie this is the Court today replay on C103 and Joe Heffernan joins me good afternoon to you Joe Good afternoon, Patricia. And we're going to discuss a topic that's getting a lot of attention recently and certainly, I think, since the pandemic. And this, unfortunately, is an increase in people getting addicted to gambling. And I suppose a lot of it has to do with how easy it is to gamble today than, say, it was even perhaps 10, 20 years ago when you physically had to go into the betting shop. Now you don't even have to leave your bedroom. Absolutely. Um, can I say one quick thing? You were talking earlier a very interesting item about the roads. Yeah. Yeah, the L1035 passes our house. Okay. And um, 
they're at like, I don't know what tonnage they'd be. Um, obviously, coming from the forest um, to, um, you know, sawmills and all that. Gigantic trucks full of um, uh, timber. Mm. And um, there's, a, there's a turn just outside our house where these big trucks, they simply have to take up the whole road to go around it. And people have had frights. They'd have to go about 200 yards more to go on two wider roads um, to get to the same destination. And they're straight, straight roads. And imagine, um, they, they, they go the little road rather than the extra 250 metres um, that would avoid all that danger. So many other people have exactly the same kind of evidence of yeah. roads where they live on saying, why are they doing it? Why are they just avoiding the main roads and going on to the minor roads? As you say, yeah. for a very cutting the journey by a very short period of time and they're on roads that they were never, those roads were never designed for that type of and size of truck. Oh, gosh, no. 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 Okay, back to back yeah, to uh, yeah, gambling yeah, and how yeah. easy it is to gamble. And we think that's part of the problem, is it? It is. And the, um, the thing is that, I mean, things are getting very serious. When the president of Ireland um, speaks out about the advertising for gambling and the need to uh, curb it, um, I mean, you know, things must be getting to a very sorry state um, when the president uh, feels that it is uh, necessary for him to talk out on the issue. And I've seen there where um, a lot of English um, soccer clubs um, are now um, uh, not uh, allowing uh, their team to be sponsored by uh, a gambling organisation and I see where the GAA have taken a great stand on this. Of course, quite a few very, very well-known GAA players, um, uh, you know, uh, Oshin McConville, etc., have made no secret of um, uh, of how sportsmen uh, can get um, uh, sucked into the uh, the gambling addiction. And I think how easy it is to get sucked into the gambling addiction. And it is compulsive gambling is an addiction. Talk to me about the progression of compulsive gambling. And we're asking people to have very quickly have pen and paper ready because we're going to go down through questions just yeah. to see. Uh, can you identify if you have a problem and uh, why people mm-hmm. are getting pen and paper ready? Just talk me through quickly the progression of how quick it is to become a compulsive gambler. Well, there's a rather brilliant book written by Declan Lynch, who writes for the Sunday Independent, called Tony Ten. And it's about a chap called Tony O'Reilly. Now, I know you interviewed him because um, I had been talking to Tony quite a while ago and um, it got arranged that you would have an interview with him. Um, the book Tony Ten um, by Declan Lynch, uh, he describes how he started off. I think it was a one euro bet. He wasn't that interested in the gambling thing. And the bet won. I think it was something like, you know, something a bit outlandish, like um, you're a matches to win and certain people to be the first goal scorer, big odds. Um, I think they got, I, I can't remember, but I, I read the book, but um, 45 or so um, euro off the bet. 
Now, that's the usual start, uh, Patricia, of a gambling problem. Um, the winning or the adventure phase is usually the start. And it went from there to... From there, it went to where he, as the manager of the Gorey um, Post Office, um, was arrested and charged and found guilty of um, uh, stealing. Um, I can't remember. What oh, it, it, went um, in, it went into huge sums of money. He went, went, he went to jail. Million. I mean, he went to jail. He had to go on the run and everything. It was, just, it was a shocking story. But it was mm. how quickly and how easy it went from being a little bit of fun to being this huge, huge problem. It was unbelievable. It was just unbelievable. It's a, it's a fantastic read. And, um, my God, it really shows up. And there you are, you see, the little bit of a buzz from the early win. Now, that's the winning or adventure phase. Then comes the losing phase, because the bookies invariably win. And um, the losing phase, then, is combined with what's known as the chasing phase. Chasing one's losses. Like, if I'm down... Whatever. If I'm down seventy euro in the in the in the gambling, um, right. There's something on there now. Even money. If I put eighty on that and it wins, I'm actually up ten euro. But of course, I'm not. I'm now down a hundred and fifty. And the temptation goes on then to chase those losses, and the chasing phase is. Um, uh, it can get completely out of hand and then one can reach what we call the desperation phase. Now, the desperation phase is where the whole thing becomes chaotic. Um, uh, you know, there can be... Uh, the, it's an addiction which a lot of... Um, a lot of victims of this addiction have been uh, have taken their own lives. Um, it's also a hidden addiction in the sense that um, a person can be looking well, they're walking straight, they're, they're, they're upright, and um, one would never know mm. that this man is in the throes of addiction. An awful and that's addiction. why I think of all of the addictions, it is the most hidden one. It is the most yes. hidden one. Okay, we want to go down through a, a list of, is it 20 questions that people, 20 questions. people answer yes or no to? So you need to put ticks, ticks on a piece of paper because you're going to need to count your yeses. Simple as that. Okay, Just go. Put down an X or a Y when you hear one that you're saying yes to. Okay. And if it's a one that you're saying no to, don't bother uh, putting down anything. Okay. Okay. Will we go through? Absolutely. Okay. First one. Did you ever lose time from work due to gambling? Yes or no? Two. Has gambling ever made your home life unhappy? Number three. Did gambling affect your reputation? Four. Have you ever felt remorse? After gambling. Five. Did you ever gamble to get money with which to pay debts or otherwise solve financial difficulties? Six. Did gambling cause a decrease in your ambition or efficiency? Seven. After losing, 
did you feel you must return as soon as possible and win back the losses? Eight. After a win, did you ever have a strong urge to return and win more? Nine. Did you often gamble until your last euro was gone? Ten. Did you ever borrow to finance your gambling? Eleven. Have you ever sold anything to finance gambling? Twelve. Were you reluctant to use gambling money for normal expenditures? Thirteen. Did gambling make you careless of the welfare of yourself or your family? Fourteen. Did you ever gamble longer than you had planned? Fifteen. Have you ever gambled to escape worry or trouble? Sixteen. Have you ever committed or considered committing an illegal act to finance your gambling? 17. Did gambling cause you to have difficulty sleeping? 18. Do arguments, disappointments or frustration create within you an urge to gamble? 19. Did you have an urge to celebrate good fortune by a few hours of gambling? And 20, the last one, have you ever considered self-destruction or suicide as a result of your gambling. Now, a lot of them are, are pretty hardcore and I think if people were answering yes to some of them, they would know immediately that they had a gambling problem. But how many yeah. how many yeses to, uh, should according, raise alarm bands? Alar- according alarm bells? to Gamblers Anonymous, who are the people who know, um, if a client answers yes, they say, to at least seven of the 20 questions, that person may have a gambling problem. So, yes to seven, one needs to take a long, hard look at their gambling. Now, I know next week we're going to more feature what it's like to live with a compulsive gambler because this yeah. is, and it, as with all of the addictions, it can affect everybody in the uh, household. But mm. today, this is very much aimed at the person themselves. Y- your message, Joe, is there is hope. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, uh, so many, um, and bravely, bravely, and to be congratulated, so many people, um, uh, like I mentioned earlier, um, have come out and uh, uh, written about their gambling addiction, and they are in recovery. In fact, two of them that I uh, would know of, um, are studying um, probably finished now I'm not certain um, uh, to become addiction counsellors um, and uh, I'm I'm hearing quite a bit um, I, I have a connection with uh, Brewery um, uh, Sisters Agnes and Concilio um, in, in Brewery in Limerick that um you know, there is an increase in the amount of people um, presenting at treatment centres with a gambling addiction. Now, previously, I mean, whenever we heard about treatment centres long ago, it was nearly always alcohol. 
then it became um, uh, drugs. you know drugs and especially recently cocaine um, but now um, gambling is uh, climbing yeah, up and you know the, uh, I, I think the pandemic lent itself beautifully to somebody who was on that road to a gambling addiction because we were all told to stay at home uh, lots of yeah. people were isolating lots of people were yeah. on their own boredom was setting in absolutely uh, so, if, so if you had any sort of a I think that you were heading down that road. It was it was like the perfect storm for gamblers. Totally. And you mentioned the magic word, I think, boredom. A lot of people were bored and they had very little to do. So a bit of uh, gambling kind of uh, uh, brought up um, uh, an interest in the day. You know, who will win the match? Will it be the team I backed or this horse at some race meeting or whatever. A bit of excitement and where people yeah, were looking exactly. for. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think mean it is, is the beginning Yeah, and it is them. it is possible, you know, to place a few bets and to see it as fun. It's when it moves on to the next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean I won't uh, tell a lie. I, I had a few bob on the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Did <laughs> no, you I lose? I'd say you well did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, yeah. um, and lots that of people, is, yeah, but lots of people can do that, and it can be okay. But it's when it moves yeah. to it moves to the next uh, to the next uh, stage. And somebody yeah. else says, dual addiction is very common as well. Yeah, did you ever notice that the bookies' offices are often kind of like second next door to the pub? And that's because of dual addiction. Yeah, and it's yeah. not by accident. Okay. All right. We're going to leave it there and we'll talk again next week. And as I say, next week we're going to be aiming our piece at living with a compulsive uh, gambler because we're that. Okay. Have a lovely week, uh, Joe. And, and we'll talk next week. Thanks for that. That is Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohupoy. His number is 086. 086- 8348145 We were talking about pubs staying open nightclubs and late bars the possibility that they may stay open until 6am in the morning Dan says Trisha there was a group of us out in the pub at the weekend and we actually all agreed that the earlier closing time that's in at the moment is absolutely great you're out early you're home early and it's a new experience the morning after says uh, Dan thank you for that Dan Okay, that's where uh, we wrap it up for today my apologies if we didn't get around to all your texts and comments but there was just too many of them in today Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing we are back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock on to the night Patricia Messenger enjoy the rest of your afternoon and stay safe Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 